Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. But all over the country, she is doing the most important work, and that is getting working people, young people, people of color involved in the political process. So thank you, Senator Turner, and let me thank Congressman Chuy Garcia. As Chuy indicated, they're making some big changes in Chicago, changes that are long overdue, and change is our mantra. We are going to change this country. Now, our campaign, our campaign is about two fundamental issues. Number one, obviously, is the need to defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. And our campaign, because of your support, because of the fact that here in Nevada, we've had volunteers knocking on hundreds of thousands of doors. I just came back from California two hours ago. They are close to a million doors that they have knocked on. And we're knocking on doors in Texas and in Massachusetts and all across this country. We are going to defeat Donald Trump because the American people understand, no matter what their political views may be, that we cannot continue having a pathological liar as president. We cannot continue having a corrupt administration. We cannot continue having a president who is undermining American democracy and our Constitution. We cannot continue having a president who is a bully who can't even get along with people that he appointed in his administration. And every other day he's firing some guy. We cannot continue to have in our country, given our history and given the struggles that we have fought for from the inception of this country with the terrible things done to the Native American people, we cannot continue to have a president who is a racist. On this episode, I'm going to walk you through a recap of the Nevada caucuses. And always remember that you can see the video clips of all of these files on uh, Rockfin on my account there. It's R-O-K-F-I-N slash Tina Desiree Berg. Our first stop is the Nevada uh, Las Vegas area volunteer office where Nina Turner, Amy Valela, and Dr. Dooley came by to give a pep talk to canvassers that were getting ready to do go get the vote out canvassing around the UNLV campus. So yesterday, UNLV showed it out because we were in those lines until almost 9.30 at night, over 1,400 students voted yesterday. And that's just UNLV. CSN, all the campuses were open. Again, we were hopping from from campus to campus up till about 9 o'clock at night with students lining out and snaking around the walkways. 
And the majority that we talked to were voting for none other than Senator Bernie I am one of the Nevada co-chairs and a national um, surrogate for Bernie Sanders. Um, I always like to start off by just telling a little bit about my Bernie story because that's really the essence of the campaign is talking about when we became, um, you know, supporters of Bernie Sanders. For me personally, um, you know, 2015, I learned about Bernie Sanders, um, and then I, I experienced what that tens of thousands of other, um, unfortunately, other people experience in this in this country every year. Um, I lost my daughter, Shalin, to our nation's barbaric health care system. She was told to go get insurance and see a specialist when she went for care, had a blood clot, and died a needless, painful death because of that. And many Nevadans you're going to run into as you're knocking on doors the next couple days are also experiencing the horrible effects of health care. And one of the reasons that I became such an ardent when it was solidified with uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is when I actually saw a video of Bernie Sanders in 1993, the year my daughter was born. He was fighting for universal health care. He was fighting for my daughter, Shalin. He was fighting for someone he didn't know. And that's what this campaign is about, is fighting for people you do not know. Yeah. And here in Nevada, as you go throughout the communities, you're going to hear a lot of suffering. Who here is not from Nevada? Okay. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, we have some of the worst health care outcomes in the nation. Uh, we have even worse mental health care here. Um, there have been court cases where they have shipped them over to California when people have mental health care crisis. Um, we have our school system is one of the on the bottom of the list in the nation. Our teachers are striking and they are out there trying to get uh, a livable wage for them and they're and fighting for their students as well. Um, but we are proud to have the CCEA, which is our largest uh, teachers union here in Nevada, support for Bernie Sanders. Um, you're also going to, to hear about our homeless population, possibly. We have a very large homeless population, largely vets, and the rest are mainly because we have some of the we have the least amount of affordable housing available in the country for our residents. And then we talk about a livable wage. You know, the strip really is built and, and, and keeps running on the backs of Nevadans. And they're having to work multiple jobs in order to provide for their families. Yeah. And then we also have a large DACA recipient population. Immigration reform is huge in Nevada and our families are struggling, they're hurting. So Bernie Sanders really is a shining beacon and hope for all of our community members. You're gonna find that many people are going to be very receptive to, this, to the policies that Bernie's fighting for. But it's so important to get people at the door to start telling their stories when you're talking with them. Get past the political you know, um, dogma and start talking about the issues that are affecting Nevadans. Um, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of excitement here in Nevada. And from what I can see, I'm feeling pretty good. I think we're gonna win the Nevada Congress. giving your talent, your treasure, as Senator Nina Turner would say, um, here to Nevada. Um, it means a lot. And I just want to leave with this, that you know, the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. It is probably the, the most important work that's being done in this campaign 
right now. Every door that you're knocking, every person you're talking to, this is a life-saving work. You are reaching out there right now and making sure that we are going to be able to elect someone that is going to actually have transformational change for the working class and the struggling in this country. Because we are, none of us are safe or immune from tragedy or disaster until the most vulnerable in our country is. So I'm so excited that you are here helping support Bernie Sanders, and I'm looking forward to that celebration on Saturday night. <laughs> Um, someone I really hold high esteem as well. Okay. Oh, as well. <laughs> hey, she needs no introduction, but this is the incredible Senator Nina Turner. Hey, Nina. Love you guys too. Glad to be back here. My apologies. I got a press hit. That just came up on my schedule, so you know I got to be on TV holding down for the burners. That's right. Set the record straight. That's right. I got to be on TV. Set the record straight. So love you guys. This came up at the last minute. I really am happy to be here with my two sisters. We got other sisters in the wing who are not here with us, but just really, really delighted. Thank you all for that. Before I go, well, we got to get a ussy. You know, before I leave, right now, my sister stand right here, and we just gonna back up on them like this. Okay. So, only all that we love is online. That's all. Nothing too big. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just the environment. You know, just the state of the fate of the, the free world is online. That's all. That's it. So, as uh, my sister Amy said, when you guys knock the door, see, you are the cake and we are the icing. But you are the cake. And as important as it is, well medical doctor right you don't eat too much cake don't don't make it every day carry cake i like sugar with my vegetables yeah. <laughs> but see you know Amy is really on to something. When you guys knock on the doors and you tell your story, that is what is most important. It's good when people like us come in here, and there are a lot of people here from out of the state, which is very good. We saw that in Iowa. We saw that in New Hampshire with sisters and brothers all over the world. I mean, I met brothers, a brother from Iran, Iran that was up in the beach trying to Ireland, I mean, you name it, people were coming from all over the world because they understand what is at stake here in the United States of America. Yes, we are citizens of this country, but baby, we are citizens of the world. And it does matter who leads the free world. And we're going to make Senator Bernie Sanders number 46. Hello, somebody. Yeah. Vegas, you know, I ain't gonna bring no shade or anything, but your sisters and brothers in Iowa were knocking in the cold. until the last door is not to the last vote is counted. I understand you guys have a record number of early voting happening already. Yes, I'm one of those students and the last time I checked, young folks are rocking with Senator Bernard Sanders. Yes. Some seniors rocking some silvers. Excuse yes. me, rocking with yes. them too. I hear it all over the country. They say, 
Sister Johnny, don't forget about the silvers, baby. Don't sleep on the silvers. We got some silvers rocking with them, too. The seasoned folks. Every day tastes better with seasoning, baby. Don't forget about the Yes, we're going to do this thing. And then another snapshot. I want y'all conceding the battle once you come through the baby. We go into South Carolina. And I want to tell you, South Carolina is the hardest early state. And the senator, woo, Lord, our movement is right there. We right there. We right there. We're going to upset them in South Carolina. The elites, the neoliberals, the billionaire class, those folks are who I'm talking about. So ignore them and keep your eyes on the prize. Booker T. Washington once said that there are two ways to exert one's strength. One is by pushing down. That's the kind of society we're living in right now where wealth gets you everything and poverty is now a crime. There are two ways of using one's strength, of, of exerting one's strength. One is by pushing down, he said, and the other is by pulling up. We are a pull-up movement. Help. And I ain't talking about Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and his war on drugs hurt a whole bunch of folks, especially if you were black. Yeah. That ain't radical. It's right on time. Yeah. So all of these people who want to talk the yin-yang, and that's the technical term, <laughs> about what we cannot have. I don't understand how we go from yes we can and no we can't. Hello, somebody. president right now on the Democratic side don't believe that we can have them. They need to get the this uh, baby here. Uh, get on out the way. <laughs> and let those of us who do believe we can have nice things go ahead on and run and lead this country. <laughs> so we don't do it. And guess what? The one day people of this nation, you do deserve nice things. Yes. Yes. Don't let people tell you you don't deserve these things. We starting to believe that we don't deserve these things. We're not asking for more than what we deserve. And also, furthermore, it's our money. So if we want to invest our money in Medicare for all, let's do it, baby. tax cut to the wealthiest people in this country when that same tax cut could have been used to cancel student debt in mm. the United States of America. We got the money, baby. We just need somebody with a spine and a backbone. His name is Murdoch. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
My interviews with Chris. I know how he rolls sometimes, but he, he give a sister a fair interview. He does. Okay. So we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Okay, meanwhile, back in 1930. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, back in 1930, President FDR had to fight the elites of his day. And in one of his speeches, he said, I welcome the hatred. Basically, he said, they hate me and I welcome it because I'm about to stand up for the work of their people all walks of life in this country. In 1944, he proposed the Economic Bill of Rights. He said, what do the people of this country have a right to? What do they deserve? He talked about education, retirement, making sure that our elders retire with dignity. Healthcare was in the economic bill. Can you imagine that? Come on, wrap your mind around that. Senator Bernie Sanders has the 21st century version of that. And to that, we've added climate chaos. We need a new deal in this country. We've added college for all. We added dealing with a legal system that is corrupt and immoral, racist as hell. And how is it that a billionaire who put forth a policy called Stop and Frisk, giving up brothers, brown and black brothers on the wall just for being brown and black, think that he gonna run for president? Come on, somebody. We need not forget what he has done and stop asking black people in this country to turn the other cheek and forgive the rotten policy that that man pushed. Hello, somebody. He defended the executives on Wall Street. Not only that, he told people who were 90 years and older, y'all know, you want to talk about death battles. Yeah. The hell's wrong with that? Now, there's something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we cannot tolerate, and I don't just mean we in this room, this democracy should not tolerate billionaires trying to buy elections. It is wrong. We need campaign finance reform in the United States. too much and minorities not enough. Come on, somebody. That ain't the kind of United States I want to live in. And then he bypassed Iowa and New Hampshire. He just said, I'm going to forget about those. Meanwhile, we have a senator that's building a real movement. That's not trying to buy elections, but building a movement from the ground up because he understands that it is going to take, in the words of my grandmother, Lottie Dottie, and everybody, gay, straight, queer, religious, non-religious, black, white, brown, Come on, somebody. Now, whether we identify, all of us are needed to lift this nation to where it should be. I don't know about you, but I want to live a good life. I want my children, my child to live a good life and future grandchildren to live a good life. I want for your family what I want for mine. And wealth should not give you more say in a representative democracy. Mm -hmm. The people's voices must be heard. So all I'm saying, Las Vegas, is that all that we love is on the line and every door that you knock on, you are knocking on the door for somebody you don't know. You are standing in a ready position for people even if they don't believe what we believe. So 1930, FDR had to face the elites of his day. Mm. 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. challenged this country. He talked about militarism, Mm. materialism, poverty and racism. Mm. Remember before he was assassinated, it was the poor people's movement, black and brown. Come on, somebody. He indicted this nation about his greed and about how it leaves the least of these behind. 
the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a democratic socialist. Hello, so yeah. Yeah. Baby, that's all it means. Yeah. So don't let them scare us with that word. We already got socialism. It's called corporate socialism. We got money for wars, but we can't feed the poor. Hello, somebody. We're going to do something. We're going to do a new thing. So come about it. Y'all going to come through. I know you're going to come through. we going to come through. And, oh, my God, I want y'all to pick out your outfits. Knock on those doors. Remember when Booker T. Washington said, all of us have two ways to use our strength, pushing down or pulling up. Baby, we are a pull-up movement. Yes. The beautiful radical Helen Keller said these words, alone, we can do very little. Together, we can do so much. Let's go out and do this damn thing. Yes. is a doctor, an activist, and I'm proud to say my friend. I am so honored to introduce, to introduce Dr. Dooley to you. I am Dr. Dooley. I'm a family medicine doctor. I'm a healthcare activist. I am a 2020 national surrogate for Bernie Sanders. that are melted. I don't have a prescription that I can write for that. But Senator Sanders has a solution. It's called the Green New Deal. We're going to save the world. Okay? And then he always speaks on income inequality. They've done studies. The rich people, they live seven years 
longer than people, the working class people. They overwork and underpay us, and they are literally vampires. They underpay us so that they can accumulate this mass amount of wealth yeah. so that they can live longer. They're literally killing us with slave wages. I don't have a prescription for that. But Senator Sanders has a plan. He says we're going to have some workplace democracy up in here. We're going to have a li minimum wage that is a livable wage. There is no place. like black people we have worse health outcomes and almost every disease imaginable okay and black women specifically have higher incidences of heart disease and I'm talking about heart attacks stroke heart failure high blood pressure than black men than white men than white women and I just have to wonder as the mother of two black boys if maybe this system of racism that we have in America is contributing to our broken hearts as black women not only do we make 65 cents or less on the dollar when we go to work, we have to deal with that stress. We have to deal with people at work trying to police our hairstyles and tell us how we can wear our hair, hair. And then I have to live in constant fear that my two black sons, who love to wear hoodies, might not come home one day because a police officer sees them in their hoodie with some Skittles in their damn pocket. I don't have a prescription for that. I wish I did as a mother of two black boys. I don't. But Senator Sanders has a plan. We're about to have some, ra some racial equality, and we are going to have a justice department that is going to hold police accountable. Yeah. And tell them Although stress leads to some of our incidents of broken hearts. I'm positive of it. And so the only way that everybody who looks like me can have health insurance so that they can stay healthy is if everyone is included with Medicare for all. There's a lot of confusion when people get confused about Medicare for all. Terms. I don't know why. Last time I checked in the dictionary, all meant everyone. <laughs> so if everyone is included in Medicare for all, nobody who looks like me can be excluded. And so, again, Senator has policies that are going to heal the, work, heal the world. And you know who else is a healer? You. 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 All of you in this room are doing healing work. When you're knocking on doors or picking up the phone to make phone calls and make text messages, you don't know what might be going on with that other person. Maybe you go knocking a door, and maybe they had crippling medical debt because they, uh, the, they had the sin of having cancer. Okay? So now they have crippling medical debt, and they're about to go on bankruptcy. And here you come on their door, knock, knock, with your clipboard and a smile. And you tell them about one named Senator Bernie Sanders, who not only is going to guarantee that they have health care, he's also going to cancel on medical debt. Yeah. It might be a young individual who wants to go to college, but their parents can't afford it. They can't afford it. So they have to choose between working and helping their family or going to school. When you go with your clipboard and your smile and you tell them that Senator Sanders has a plan to make all public colleges, 
universities and HBCUs free, that's healing work. So we only have three days left to caucus. You guys are doing phenomenal, okay? But let's push forward and just do just a little bit more. We're so close. We are so close. It is almost over. But if we continue to do the good work, sign up for more shifts, knock on, reach, beat your personal goal, knock on more doors, you better believe we're going to win our third Thank you guys for coming, and uh, we got work to do still now, and let's hit it. Let's get these votes in for Next, we headed to the Bernie Sanders official Democratic debate watch party, and we talked to some uh, surrogates, some voters, and some supporters that were there. So I'm here with Sean Navarro, who's the head of DSA in Las Vegas. Well, I'm sorry, co-chair for DSA. Oh, pardon me, co-chair. I, I heard you were like the guy in charge. So, Well, right now we, we had two co-chairs. Um, one's moving to Reno. He was an organizer at SEIU. The other one's moving to Seattle. So right now I'm the only co-chair, so I'm a bit of like the regional manager of socialism, if you will. I love that. So let me ask you a question. So my family's from Sweden, so I grew up okay. seeped in democratic socialism. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. These words are fine with me. They don't scare me. But a lot of Americans are sort of intimidated or they don't understand what that means. Do you have an argument that you give those folks that kind of sort of sells them on the idea of Medicare for all, having uh, publicly funded universities, which actually, which is actually something we once had. So yeah, it seems like everyone from your angry uncle to your random friends on Facebook has opinion on what is socialism. Um, something I find interesting is when you actually talk about specific issues, like say free college, uh, canceling student debt, Medicare for all, um, people are really for it. Uh, overwhelmingly poll after poll, people are in favor of those issues. So when you take it issue by issue that are quote-unquote socialists, people are in favor of it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize they, they socialism may have a bad word, be a bad word in America. Uh, it's had a, a huge smear campaign against it for the past 40 years. The word has been weaponized. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, but when you actually talk to people about issues, how they feel about like Medicare for all, um, how they feel about immigration reform, they actually find up, they line up pretty closely with what would be considered socialism in the country. Well, I think part of the weaponization of the word socialism in the United States has been this idea that it's totalitarian, yes. and it's not. So if you go back and you look at the literature, even from uh, Marx, mm -hmm. it's about the democracy itself owning the means of production. And I think after you explain that to people, they sort of have a different viewpoint. Like a co-op is really good. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's right in our name, democratic socialism. How we kind of describe it, we believe that um, the major institutions that control our society, from healthcare to the corporations we work for, should be democratically maintained, owned by the workers, for the workers, and not for making profit for the 1% and for the people on top. Um, and, uh, like for everything from healthcare, the uh, kind of places we work for, uh, we just want people to be in control. And, and the profits that people are contributing to go to the people instead of going to a small select few. And that's exactly what's happening in the country. 82% of the new wealth that was created last year went to the 1%. Yeah. Not only is this immoral, it's yeah. untenable. So let me ask you a question. In Sweden, there's a policy where every corporate board has two uh, union members or two worker members on the board by law. They, they're required to do this. Is this something that the United States should consider? 
Oh, 100%, yes. We need to have more worker ownership. Um, I think that people need to be able to own the labor they create. So that's absolutely something that we should be creating here in the U.S., 100%. Do you have a favorite philosopher? Uh, I do not know. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, listen, we love if you if you're big into theory, we, that's great. But here at the DSA, we're a big tent. We take people from less experience to more experience. We we kind of have a saying like you just you don't need to know all the marks. You just need to know like Wu Tang's cream. Kropotkin. Yes. You just need to know like listen to Wu Tang's cream. Uh, listen to Dolly Parton's nine to five. You know what I mean? Like if you just dislike your boss, you're okay. That's Wait, what Dolly Parton might be the best philosopher ever, let's be honest. Yes, 9 to 5, that is the official theme of socialism. We're declaring it today. Yes. So, uh, recently some polls have been coming out where 70% of Americans, whether they're Republican or Democrat, yes. support the idea of Medicare if it's framed properly. I think that's a good sign. 100%, yeah. I think Medicare all is going to be a big kind of... Um, uh, kind of opening people up to like what could be called socialism. I think for so long we just haven't seen effective government policy. Like a good example I like to use is um, the Obama had a policy where you could turn in your old car. I think it was called Cash for Clunkers, and it was so successful that they literally it, they saw over demand. I think if we have programs that directly materially affect the pe people's lives, um, you see that they're very successful. People are in favor of them, and just for so long we've just been focusing on. on helping the 1% uh, and, and, and frankly welfare for big corporations and the rich. It's corporate welfare. Look, that is the 1% the has been extracting wealth Absolutely. from everybody else for decades now. Decades. So, now has DSA Las Vegas been doing canvassing work for Bernie Sanders? Yes. Um, we actually run an official Bernie staging location out of the garage. 2934 Natalie Avenue, come on down. The Leftist Garage, we're going to be out there all day, every day, till caucus day. Um, yeah, we've been canvassing, we've been doing caucus trainings. Come on down. Anytime before caucus day, we'll get you out there knocking doors for Tio Bernie. So, Tio Bernie's my guy. So, do you think Bernie's going to win on Saturday? Uh, I don't want to, especially after 2016, I, I don't want to jinx, knock on wood, but I think he is, yes. We right. build a, oh, go ahead. So let me ask you another question. Are you prepared for some crazy shenanigans on Saturday night? Do you think that there's going to be any sort of, like, last time we saw, you know, like, voter suppression can take many forms, right? And some of the more subtler forms that the DNC engages in, engages in is, is some of the worst kind. So I'm worried about that. Are you? I, I'm a little concerned, um, but I think, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think there's a lot of turnout. So that's why you're kind of seeing some issues. So, and I, and I think with a lot of turnout, that's not only great for Bernie, but great for democracy in general. Um, I know some of the organizers behind the Vada Dems. They're very dedicated. They're very, they, they believe in what they're doing. So I think it's going to be a big task, but I think it's going to go well. I, I do think voter suppression is a very real thing that we have to look out for. But I think it's going to go well on, the, uh, on Saturday. And I think Bernie ultimately is going to win it. I agree. I agree. So thank you for talking with thank me. So and if people want to canvas, tell us where again. Uh, that's 2934 Natalie Avenue. The Leftist Garage. We're open all day, every day till caucuses. Come on down. Oh, we have Chapo Trap House tomorrow at 3 p.m. Yes. We're very excited. Yes. So come on down anytime you want to canvas. Absolutely. Excellent. Thanks for talking thank with us. Thank you so much. It's so great. Thank you so much. I also spoke with activist Cy, who had come in from Iowa City, uh, Iowa, because he wanted to pay it forward. He was very excited about the fact that folks had come to Iowa to help with their caucus, so he thought it was best that he uh, returned that to the universe. So
So we're here at the Bernie Sanders debate night watch party in Las Vegas, Nevada. So you were originally in Iowa and you came in today to help canvas here with the volunteers in uh, Nevada for the caucus on Saturday. What was your motivating reason for doing that? Um, I guess the best way to put it is uh, I volunteered for Sanders for about seven months in Iowa before the caucus. And when the out-of-state volunteers showed up, it was such an emotional event for me um, because we had been struggling alone for so long. Obviously, we're not alone in the Bernie movement, but with uh, busloads of people coming uh, from out of state, I just thought when my friend Ambar asked me to come um, that I had to pay him back for having done that. So. Yeah, that's true. So I noticed when I was in, I in Iowa, there was a lot of out-of-state volunteers that had flown in to help canvas in Cedar Rapids area, Des Moines area. So the movement is broad-based, and I think uh, there's solidarity that happens across the spectrum. And I'm glad to see you, you here paying it forward. So you, you said you started about eight months ago. Were you always a Bernie Sanders supporter, or are you new to the movement? Yeah, I was a big fan in 2016, um, in 2015, I guess, in the lead-up to the, to the election. And um, I was very disappointed with how Iowa went. Um, I felt like if, if I had participated, if many others had at that time, all I did was caucus, which didn't seem like enough in retrospect, so I made up for it this time, I think. Well, but to be fair, there was a lot of shenanigans that went on that first time. Like, I was I was literally waiting for them to do rock, paper, scissor. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it was... Those coin tosses, I don't know if you saw the coin tosses from Iowa. They were an absolute sham, uh, disgrace. Uh, they, were a, they were an insult to our democracy, whatever shreds there are of it. Um, just an absolute disgrace. So, yeah, very upsetting to see again. Um, yeah, but I think the worst part—the worst part of it—is they were using coin tosses in in areas where they should not have been. Like I was in precinct 80, and you're only supposed to use a coin toss if it's if it's a tie, right? So in the precinct that I had been broadcasting from, there was 101 voters that were for Bernie Sanders, and there were 66 66 for Pete. So there was no reason for a coin toss, but they did one anyway. Right. In my precinct, uh, Sanders and Buttigieg were both uh, like one person away from not being viable. So if two people had stayed home or you know if we had worked even harder but my headcount was 38 um, Warren's was 18 Pete's was 18 and everyone split our delegates and it's very upsetting to to have a kind of a caucus that's just so um, I don't know seemingly undemocratic so one of my goals is when I'm done here I'm gonna go back and abolish the Iowa caucus so we never have to do it again that's my goal so you think they should just switch to a straight primary where they're voting yeah, absolutely. Just a straight primary. There's no reason. And why do our votes have to be public? You know, why do they have to be at this specific time? There's poor people, there's working people that can't go. You know, if you have children, you can't go. You know? I had spoken I had spoken with somebody actually when I had uh, initially checked in at, in uh, Cedar Rapids and she had said to me that she wasn't going to be able to make the caucus because she was working two jobs. So, I mean, honestly, even for even for elections, it, there, there's a moment where you think to yourself, shouldn't this be a national holiday? Or in the very least, shouldn't it come on a, a Sunday when it would be easier for people to vote? Yeah, I'll tell you what I think. It should be a paid national holiday. Not only should you get it off work, you should be paid for that work. The child care should be provided either at the place or, or whatever. I mean, this is... That, that, that is absolutely priority number one, and of course things like that never happen, because the only way that those in power who have a mi minority you know, voice in, in the country, who have an outsized role in our political uh, process, 
The only reason they're winning is because we are too downtrodden and, and sad and upset and we're worried about our washing machine breaking or our car broke down or whatever and we just can't do it. We have a sick mom. I mean, these are all the things that keep people out. So there's, you know. You're correct. And the unfortunate reality is is there's more of, of us than there is of the plutonomy. The 1% is very few. Yet they're able to get away with what they do because there hasn't been a strong revolutionary, revolutionary moment in the country for a long time. I do think that that's happening now. So let me ask you this. What do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Do you think Bernie Sanders is going to win this caucus? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course. Of course I do. I have a, I have a, uh, a revolutionary, a radical faith in our movement. Uh, the things that I've seen working uh, in the Bernie Sanders campaign as a volunteer are breathtaking, like things that no one could ever imagine possible. Uh, the kind of uh, solidaristic uh, actions that people are taking. It, uh, it's, a, it's a project of imagination and people are buying it now. I think they're finally buying it so that's yeah that's I think we're gonna win thank you for talking with us the next day we attended the burning love party that was uh, thrown at the bunkhouse in the arts district of Las Vegas I had a chance to catch up with uh, Bernie Sanders campaign chair Amy Valela there so I'm here with Amy Valela we're here in Las Vegas at the Bernie Sanders bunkhouse uh, party we're out hanging out with canvassers volunteers who've been out here working all week a lot of them have come from out of state and out of the country. And out of the country, that's right. There were some folks that I had met the other day from Canada, actually. Uh, so the movement is definitely here. It's definitely strong. Last we talked, you were running for office. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and you've got this amazing story that uh, that's tragic, but it sort of propelled you into activism. So is the main reason that you're supporting Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All, is that why you originally decided that he was your guy? I mean, it was one of the things. Um, it's definitely what made me start... Uh, looking into Bernie Sanders. Um, I remember the moment that I knew I was going to follow Bernie Sanders. Um, it was about health care. I came across a video of him from 1993, the year my daughter was born. And he was fighting for her, for someone he didn't know, from 1993. But it wasn't just that he was fighting about health care. It was, I realized this man was fighting when it wasn't popular, was fighting for it when it wasn't the politically expedient thing to do. He was fighting for it in a room full of nobody. And he continued and he was consistent. He was consistent on fighting for the people no matter what, what pressures and no matter what pushback he was getting. That's why I supported Bernie Sanders. 100%. And actually, I came across some video of, he did this public access show when he was mayor in Burlington called uh, Bernie Speaks to the Community. And I unearthed some video of from that show where he was actually talking about universal health care, Medicare for all, back in 1987. That's how consistent this guy is. 1987. Nobody was talking about Medicare for all in 1987. So what I appreciate about Bernie Sanders is he is consistent in his, in his policy beliefs. You know where you're getting from that guy. And you don't know that about some of the other candidates. For example, uh, I don't know that there's anybody else running at this point that actually supports Medicare for All. You have Warren kind of backtracked from her position where she's got this two-tier thing where she's going to implement in maybe the third year she said she started fighting for it. You've got everybody else trying to a uh, argue that access or a public op option is the same thing. They want to keep the health insurance. I, they, obviously, these things aren't the same. So what are your thoughts on that? Shalyn had access. My daughter had access. And she's dead. So as they sit back and they talk and they do the talking points to keep their donors happy, every day more and more people are dying.
as we sit back and we talk about the political, what can be done, what's not done, and what's pie in the sky, and, and what is, you know, too much, and it's too left versus too center. It doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum. You are not immune to feeling the effects of our for-profit barbaric healthcare system. This is not a left versus right, Democrat versus Republican issue. This is a we, us, we the people issue. You're not immune because you're Republican when you walk into a hospital and you don't have insurance. You're not immune. I wasn't immune as a dual insured person, a military spouse, with the best health insurance in the world when my children didn't have it. Right? And this is the thing people have to get through. We have to stop looking at just what's surrounding our own personal life and start thinking about our community. Because unless the most vulnerable in our community is taken care of and safe, we are just as vulnerable as they are. Yeah. No, I agree. Here's the other thing. Uh, and you bring this up that it's not a right versus left issue. And I agree with that. So there's some polling that's been coming out recently where a plurality of Americans across the board, across the political spectrum, support a Medicare for all plan. And I think it's important to mention that when you talk to folks that are out in, in some of these Midwest rural areas where, where you know you have the establishment arguing that those folks are never going to buy this kind of a plan, they actually will. They get it. They realize when they have a, a, an insurance plan that's costing them $800, $900 a month and they still have a 5K deductible that they can't afford, they don't go to the doctor even though they have insurance because they can't even afford that 5K up front, let alone the co-pays. So the system is needs to be imploded. It's, it's absolutely profiteering run amok. There's a reason no other country does what we do. And I think you're right. It's the plutonomy versus everybody else. Because when you see the folks that are actually arguing we can't do this, that we don't have the ability to do this, it's the plutonomy. It's the one percenters. So I want to talk about Michael Bloomberg for a second because I think in many ways he epitomizes the rot that's in the Democratic Party. This is a guy who is a racist. He's a Republican. He might as well still be a Republican. I know he's running as a Democrat. And it kind of gets under my skin a little bit that the same people that would attack Bernie Sanders and say he's not a real Democrat are all of a sudden getting behind Bloomberg. It seems very hypocritical to me. So what are your thoughts on Michael Bloomberg? You know, when we are talking about what our party stands for, it's not just a title. It's not just a label that's, that is stamped on something and says, okay, you have a D, so you are a Democrat, good enough. Our party should be the party of the people. We should be fighting for policies that uplift the working class, that uplift the poor, that uplift our brown and black brothers and sisters that are out there making sure that we are safe. If we're not fighting for that, shame on us. I 100% agree with you. And there's a reason that the Democratic Party is down to having 26, 27% of registered voters in the country. People are fed up. They've become independent. The largest voting bloc is left-leaning independents. And this is why it's so important to factor that in when you're looking at who is going to win in a general election. Most of those folks support Bernie Sanders. So folks that want to just look at polls with Democrat-only voters are not looking at the entire picture in my opinion. Right. So now in Nevada, <clears throat> we have the caucus on Saturday. Can you walk us through a little bit about the early vote, voting part of the caucus? Because there's some confusion on that. I know that they are, were saying, they put this thing out, that you had to choose uh, three choices and that information hadn't gotten out. Do you think some of this stuff is going to affect the outcome on Saturday? How does that figure into the caucus format? I mean, from what we've heard so far, the early voting portion of the, uh, of the process has gone by relatively smoothly. 
Um, I think where, where everyone is a little bit concerned because of the problems with this software is, is the caucus portion and getting all those votes together. Um, but when I went out to the voting sites, I was at quite a few of them. Um, we saw people checking to make sure that they had checked the three different boxes they had signed. I, there are some pe that were missed, and from what we've been told, they're, they're now being called to tell them you're, it's not validated, you can come in and still caucus, right? So I'm really happy that in Nevada we have started an early vote process, because here's the thing. In Nevada, and especially in, in Las Vegas, we are, sh we are full of shift workers. The strip doesn't shut down because we have a caucus. So who does that mean is left out of the, the voting process in the primary? The working class. So having early voting has been, I think it's a huge improvement in our, in our democracy here in Nevada. And so I'm really excited about that. And I'm more excited in that as I was out there in the early, early voting, I was again traveling to the different locations. Um, after Senator Sanders did his rally, there was hardly anyone at the voting station when this was happening. He marched us over to the voting station, nice. and I, I left, and then within like 30 minutes, it's like, Amy, you got to come back out. There's a, there's a three-hour wait for voters, and they were going down the sidewalk, snaking around for three hours, and it just wasn't at UNLV. Wow. It was also at all our CSN locations, and UNR, like all of our college locations where two, three-hour waits with hundreds of people in line waiting to vote. College students waiting to vote. I think they have felt here in Nevada and across this country that it's time that their voice is heard and they're not going to sit back anymore and let this system take away their future, their environment, their health care, their jobs, and put them in debt and leave a planet that's in horrible disarray. They're ready to get out there and fight back. I agree. And, you know, I love the, I'll mention this, the reason I love the early voting thing is, is what you were mentioning. When I was in Iowa, I spoke with several folks that wanted to caucus, but because they're working class and they're working two jobs, they were having a tough time figuring out how they were going to make it to the caucus that night. So I think you're right. That stuff targets the working class more than it targets anybody else. I think um, Nina had actually done a video about why we voted on Tuesday in the first place, and it kind of exposed the, the, the ridiculous reasons why. I mean, it should really be a holiday. This is the most important thing that we can do in this country is participate in the democracy itself. And we're making it difficult for folks to do that. You know, voter suppression has all kinds of forms. It's not just voter ID laws. It's also things that are subtle in this way, right. in my opinion. So right. anyway, what are your parting words for the listeners? And do you think Bernie's going to prevail on Saturday night? <laughs> Get out and vote. I mean, bring a friend, bring your neighbors, bring your frenemies, bring your frenemies. <laughs> we need to vote because when we come together, when we vote, young, old, black, white, you know, brown, whatever the case may be, across our communities, when we come out and vote, we win. And I am looking forward to winning this Nevada caucus. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Amy. You have a good night. <laughs> the next day, there was a immigration and reform presidential uh, panel discussion that occurred. We attended that, and I think the best speech of the day was given by Fa Shakir. He discussed why ICE and DHS needed to be rolled back to their uh, prior to the Patriot Act because they were no longer doing security. They were there simply to do anti-immigration policy. So our next, next guest tonight is uh, Faz Shakir. Faz is the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. 
everybody. Thank you to Amnesty for inviting me. Nice to see you, yes. Hamid. Uh, my name is Fash Shakir. I'm honored to be Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. And as much as I'm sick and tired of the Trump administration, I'm going to start there for a moment and not spend too much time talking about him. But it has been painful. And I'm sure all of us feel the same way to live through these three years that have felt like 20 years. And it'll come to an end soon. But I think as we suffer through the era of the Trump administration, and we think about the communities that I see in this room, things that I feel directly, the messages that have come from Donald Trump are painful. We want to detain you, deport you, surveil you, separate you, take you away from your family, call you guilty without due process, and stop you from voting. Those are the messages that we have felt. Those are the policies that we have to reverse. And one of the reasons that I feel so strongly about Bernie Sanders is that because it's more than just the problem of bad policies. We live in an era in which our culture, because of Donald Trump, because of Trumpism, because of what has happened over the past 20 years of building up a deportation industrial complex, what has happened is it has changed our humanity. We truly do not see humans as humans. We see them as oh, a security threat. Oh, you're brown? You're black skin? You're, you're something other than me? You must be treated differently than I do that I am. And I think one of the things that we're fighting for is to restore basic humanity in our country. And I think one of the strong reasons that I stand in solidarity with our movement around Bernie Sanders is that we are restoring humanity. It's more than just immigration. It's that if you are a decent human being, you should have basic health care. You should have basic education. You should have an ability to retire comfortably, provide for your family, hope that your children can grow up in a world in which they will have a better life than us. That's it. And that basic sense of humanity that we are bonded together is what we are fighting for and it is the reason that I work for Bernie Sanders. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll start off again with a video question. Hello, my name is Ray. I'm a Cuban English professor and I was granted asylum in January. After being stranded at the U.S. southern border for over 10 months as part of the migrant protection protocols, my question is, what do you plan to do uh, about policy changes and executive orders that have completely upended the U.S. immigration system? And when do you plan to do it? To ensure that people like me who suffer persecution and come to this country for safety can seek asylum in the U.S. Right now, our asylum system is fundamentally broken. You all know that. It has been intentionally broken by Donald Trump. You have to understand that there's an industrial, like I said, the deportation industrial complex that had been built up for many years prior to him and had given him the tools to enact everything that he wanted in a very racist way. That's what's going on. Oh, you know, if you're brown-skinned, you're treated differently. We're going to find a way to cut you out. And that's not only of undocumented immigrants or refugees who are trying to come to the United States. It's also true of legal immigrants. What do you think the public charge rule is? What do you think TPS is all about? What do you think the Muslim ban is all about? What is that all about? Oh, they're the other, and we need to block them and push them out. So you have to understand the policies are coming from a root of racism, truly of believing that these people should not belong in the United States, and I'll, I'll stop them from coming. So when he thinks, and what our now our machinery of the federal government thinks, is that these are not refugees. 
They're the other. They're, and so we get to start with the fact that these are refugees. And as the government, as a federal government, we belong to an international community that is to treat refugees properly. That is to understand that they come, they should have basic nutrition, basic health care provided to make sure that their lives are intact and that they are given the opportunity to present their argument for asylum. And right now, the government obviously doesn't do that. They say, oh, you know, no, you go sit on the other side of the fence. You aren't human. You go stand there, suffer. Despite being a refugee, despite how, how much difficulty you may have had to come here, you must suffer. What must, what must we do? We have to rethink the whole damn system. I mean, they'll have to break down the whole deportation machinery and the purpose of what these agencies were set up to do. Right now, they're security-minded. Everybody's a threat. You're a threat, Hamid. You're, you know, I'm a threat. Everybody's a threat. That's the, that's the way our machinery looks at you. You are a threat. Instead, we must see you as human and say, well, how can we take care of people while respecting that we have to be a nation of laws and of a border, right? How can we do that? Well, as a nation, we can invest in taking care of refugees who come across, making sure they have basic nutrition, and then having a system that works efficiently and orderly. More judges, more counsel, and then, of course, uh, treating and understanding the vast majority of people who are coming here are not security threats. They need to be have their claims heard and processed in a very orderly manner. That's what we have to do. Sure. Uh, getting into the specifics a little bit here, the Remain in Mexico program has sent more than 60,000 asylum seekers uh, back to Mexico as they wait for their U.S. immigration proceedings. Another 600 People from El Salvador uh, and Honduras have been sent to Guatemala to seek asylum there. What is the senator's plan for these people? I know moving forward you have, you know, you're going to open up the asylum system, but these people have already been affected. What is, what is the senator's plan? Well, we end the remain in Mexico policy. We start there. That it, it is, as I said, believe strongly is born out of racism. It's not an effort to actually take care of refugees. Then you talk about how do you deal with an influx of a lot of refugees. And I think right now we do not have a system that is set up to deal with it. I mean, we, you do not have the requisite amount of resources at the border. And that is a choice of the federal government. There are no shortage of groups, NGOs, Amnesty has done a wonderful job, ACLU, a number of places uh, that Joanne and I have worked at together. Hi, Joanne. Uh, that, we, you know, that we have worked you know, that there's resources available, and right now there are NGOs who are stepping up because the federal government has failed at this. It's just a matter of resources. Do you know how much we spend deporting people every year? It's close to $2 billion. $2 billion. Imagine you take that $2 billion and you say, you know what we need to do? We keep our nation safe, but we need to make sure that we take care of humans as human beings. That is a lot of damn money. $2 billion. You can have uh, decent facilities so that kids are not locked up in cages, separated from their families, put into inhumane conditions. In many cases right now, inhumane conditions on the other side of the border. You can have decent facilities provided with federal resources based on what is currently in the budget. It's just a matter of national priorities and reallocating that. And would your campaign commit to allowing those 60,000 plus people to come back into the U.S. and apply for asylum while they're here? Well, so I think you have to look at how many could we actually bring in, take care of. The answer is yeah, fundamentally the policy is yes, right? Can, can people come and assert a credible fear and make their case heard. Of course, right now that there's not that's not what's going on. But that is in contravention of 
the rule of law right now that we are supposed to adhere to, that r refugees who come to the United States are supposed to present a, a credible case of why they believe they should be allowed into the United States. But they're not being allowed to do that. So e even just by our own laws, and our own values, our own norms, of course, the answer is we have to set up a system. Now, if you tell me, can we handle 60,000 at one time? No, we can't. No. So we have to set it up in a way that we could handle that. Sure. And so as if it provided, and this is gonna be an immediate priority for any administration, I hope it's ours, a Democratic administration under Bernie Sanders to have to deal with um, in a humane way. But I think uh, the choice for all voters is, Whose character, whose values, whose principles do you feel most comfortable sitting in the Oval Office and making these determinations? And ultimately, at the end of the day, these are hard determinations. But one of the reasons I fight for Bernie Sanders is just that I know the heart, what's in his soul, what's in his bones. And it's, a, it's just a basic decency and a compassion for the other. Sure. So Senator Sanders has said that he would institute a moratorium on deportations yeah. if he was elected. You know, while ICE uh, deports many people without a criminal record, there are a portion of those deported with serious criminal issues. In the past two months, ICE has deported those who were convicted of double murder, accessory to murder, and others who are wanted for murder in their home countries. Would Senator Sanders extend the moratorium to these individuals? And if so, how long is this moratorium uh, going to last? We're talking about Violent criminals, the violent criminals sit in jail or prison right now upon their uh, the end of whatever sentence they may currently have, they would be deported. Now, that's a tiny number, right? A tiny number of people on a case-by-case -case basis that would be uh, outside of the moratorium. The moratorium would affect 99% of um, the people living here peace of, peacefully and contributing to America's economy. Right now, as I mentioned, it start from a place that ICE has been turned into a machinery of deportation. And you look at the culture that's been created, it's to uh, wide-scale sweeps and raids uh, indiscriminately across the country to terrorize communities. That has to end. And I think one of the things, if you watch ICE and what's going on with the agency, you realize that they're now um, destroying records. Why do they want to destroy records? Why do they want to destroy records? I want people to know what they're doing. And I think one of the first things you have to do in reason for a moratorium is to go into these agencies and see what, what are the determinations you make and how do you make them. That's why we stop what you're doing, we evaluate it, and we put in personnel who is operating with the values and the principles of Bernie Sanders. So it sounds like the moratorium is not just a broad moratorium for all deportations. No, it starts with specific. a broad, no, it starts with a broad moratorium, Hamid. Okay. Yeah, it starts with a broad, whole scale, full sweep moratorium, acknowledging that there's gonna be case by cases that uh, may need to be dealt with differently. Sure. I think we have a question from the audience. I guess I can get up. Um, Hello. Um, my name is Biara Tim, and I'm a former refugee from South Sudan. I became a refugee at the age of seven and grew up in the refugee camp until I was 21. In 2001, I was referred to Las Vegas as a refugee starting out as a janitor and working my way up to become a corporate audit manager. Um, in 2007, I became a U.S. citizen and I couldn't wait for a day where I was gonna go back to Africa and bring my mother. Unfortunately, my mother was denied a visa to come and attend my wedding in Minnesota. About a year later, my mother died of malaria in the refugee camp. And this is the story of all immigrants here. The families have been broken apart. Uh, if elected president 
What is Bernie Sanders going to do to restore the refugee uh, resettlement program? Oh, thank you very much. And <clears throat> very hard, difficult story. I often think about you know, it, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, whose endorsement we are honored to have, and she told me a very similar story. Many of her relatives, she feeling honored to have left and feeling good about it, having created a great life of her own, but thinking about all the people who she could have easily been in a very difficult, cir different circumstance. I think of myself and the Pakistanis who, you know, I could have easily been and not had the opportunities that I have now. And those are certainly values that I try to keep and maintain in thinking about how we, how we should restructure our immigration policy. And what Bernie Sanders said is we need to increase the number of refugee visas into the United States, uh, not only going back to the Obama years, but probably above the Obama years. And then talking about potentially a lot of people who might be climate refugees and including them in those numbers. So increasing the numbers of refugees in, into the United States, changing the entire immigration visa system. Right now, you guys know this about the immigration system. This is one of the most painful things. It is a class-based system. That is to say, if you are poor, going to be very hard to get into the United States. However, if you are rich, we will find you a way. You can buy your way into the United States. Well, you're a small business uh, multimillionaire. Oh, there's a visa for you. There's a visa for you. But if, unfortunately, you're just a hardworking, low-income individual who wants to make a better life for himself and the family, bring your mother or your father to, just, just to attend a wedding. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. There's no visas anymore for you. This is a class-based system. Let's not be ignorant about what is going on with the system. It has to be fundamentally changed. It's not, it no longer reflects the values. And a lot of the ways in which you see the system having been created, a lot of the policies were obviously built off of discrimination. So the history of the immigration flows into the United States were based off discrimination. But then even when you look at who's allowed to come through the border, right? it's based off the idea, oh, it was a single male, a single working adult male. Now you have families. How do you deal with families? Like we have not rethought the entire system. And I think as the United States, we've always been the beacon of hope uh, and freedom for, for the world. And I think the policies that we set, we can then advocate to other countries around the, around the world. Right now, the, the, the standard that we are setting is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. We're telling, we're basically projecting to the world, close your borders, build walls, shut people out, call them the other, and don't let them in. We have to reverse that entirely. It's not just changing our own policies, but I hope working with a lot of governments around the world to think, rethink how we are a, a better people for each other. So quickly, uh, before you have to go, uh, Senator Sanders has proposed breaking up ICE yes. and having the DOJ handle immigration enforcement. Right. In that scenario, how are immigration laws going to be enforced, and what happens to the thousands of ICE officers in the field? Hamid, that's a, a question to be like, how was immigration law enforced before 2001? Right, I mean, like the, it's worth just looking at the history of how these immigration agencies, when I say the immigration deportation complex, a lot of it was built after 9-11. You have the ICE created, DHS created, and created solely for the mindset of going and finding, snatching, and grabbing, and pushing out. There was, you know, if you returned, if you can, what we talk about in our plan is breaking up components of what currently exists at ICE and CBP and returning to, the, to them to their original functions that, as you know, existed before 9-11, and whether the Department of Justice or the Treasury Department, there are sane and rational ways to deal with the immigration system right now, that is not at all how we're dealing with it. Sure, but would you keep the ICE officers that are still 
you need agents, for sure. I mean, you have a, a nation of laws, you have to maintain enforcement of laws, but you don't have an agency roaming around just purely for the purpose of terrorizing and deportation. I mean, now it's gotten so far away from security threats. Security threats, is not go that's not even the way in which we think about why people are picked up deported in the interior of the United States anymore. That's not it. It's not security. They don't even try to suggest it's security. It's like, oh, you know, uh, overstayed, out the door. You know, oh, you uh, traffic violation, out the door. I mean, it's just really just picking up and sweeping and grabbing just because they have, like I said, $2 billion to play with, amount of resources. So when you talk about restructuring and revaluing our priorities, we can find money to take care of a humane border system. You can also take agents and return them to the core function, which is safety and security of the United States. That is not in the interior of roaming around trying to terrorize communities. Great. Well, thank you so much, thank Faz, you very much. for coming. Thank you, everybody. The next night, Bernie Sanders held a rally in which there were speeches given by a bunch of surrogates, including Chewy Garcia and Naomi Klein. One of my favorite moments of the night was Naomi Klein fighting back against the Bernie bro narrative and calling it what it was, sexist. She went on to further uh, discuss how women inside the movement, in particular uh, black women like Nina Turner and Brianna Joy Gray, were treated with uh, very degrading and racist remarks. Here's her speech. Please welcome to the stage, Naomi Klein. Hello, wow, all right, let's get some light on this. All right, how are we feeling, Las Vegas? Are we going to win tomorrow's caucus for Bernie Sanders? Damn right we are. Now, usually I talk about the Green New Deal because I am a climate activist organizer. I've written three books about climate change. I'm obsessed with the fact that our world is on fire, but I take solace in the fact that this movement is on fire too. We are going to douse the flames together, my friend. Now, I have looked at all of the candidates' plans, and the reason why I am here standing with Senator Sanders, endorsing a candidate for president for the first time in my life, is that Bernie's Green New Deal plan is head and shoulders above the others, okay? It is the only one that is truly on the scale of the crisis. It is the only one that is truly guided both by science and justice, okay? Racial justice, gender justice, indigenous justice, migrant justice, justice between our countries. I, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing now because I have a couple things I want to get to. One thing I want to stress here in Nevada, it's the only plan that is about not just renewable energy, but energy democracy. That means that you get to own and control your own renewable energy so you don't get gouged by the private utility companies who've been gouging you for years. The other thing that is particularly important to understand here 
is that Bernie's Green New Deal is the only one that understands that climate justice doesn't stop at the U.S. border, okay? It recognizes the rights of migrants, and it rec recognizes the responsibilities of the United States to other countries, right, that have done nothing to produce this crisis but are on the front lines, and people are being pushed from their lands, particularly in Central America, and they are being pushed to move when they don't want to move. They have a right to move, and this campaign recognizes that, but it also recognizes that they have a right to remain, which means that we need to pay our climate debts so that they can stay on their land, so that they have the resources, yes. So I'm not just going to talk about the Green New Deal, as I always do, because tonight I really feel the need to talk to you about why I also support Bernie as a woman and as a feminist. You know, I want to be clear that we love our brothers in this movement, but this is not a campaign of bros, okay? I want to be very clear about this. I want to be very clear that women are the heart and soul of this movement. And I have absolutely had it with the way women leaders in this movement are being erased and invisibilized to feed this tired media narrative. And I am tired of the fact that when we aren't being ignored or erased, women leaders in this campaign, particularly black women leaders, are being attacked. Now, let us all recall that it was our own amazing Nina Turner <laughs> referring to one Michael Bloomberg on MSNBC, who was the first to call an oligarch an oligarch. And she caught a whole lot of hell for that. This campaign is brimming with women leaders. It lifts up women. It trusts women. It believes women. Now, I want to talk about what that means. That doesn't mean that as women, we don't lie and we don't cheat. You know, we do all that thing, but things. But trusting women means believing that women know what is in our own interests, right? And that is especially important for the women who are most vulnerable in this outrageously unequal economy and society. And that means working class women. It means trusting working class women to know what is best for them. And that is why it matters, it really matters that only Bernie Sanders has earned the broadest support of working class women in this country. These are the women who need deep change the most, who are most vulnerable to harassment, to sexual harassment on the job because it is their only health care for themselves and their families so they can't leave terrible situations. These are the women who are most vulnerable to abuse in their homes because leaving those homes means ending up on the streets where they face even more violence. 
It matters that Bernie is supported by women who work in Amazon warehouses, who work at McDonald's, who work at Disney World. These are some of the most vulnerable workers in the economy, that he is supported by undocumented workers. These are women who understand that Medicare for all is a feminist issue. That housing for all is a feminist issue. That migrant rights is a feminist issue. That standing up against illegal wars is a feminist issue. This is why we are going to win tomorrow, because this is a movement that is powered by some of the most incredible women I have ever met. We were born for this fight. We know we can win, and that means we must win. Thank you. Let's do this. The next morning, I headed down to the Bellagio caucus site where I was able to interview some potential voters, surrogates, and Tom Steyer. Here's my Tom Steyer interview. Nice to see you. Last we talked at Kadem, I asked you about uh, Prop 13 reform, and you said you unequivocally, yes, supported splitting the roles. I don't know if you remember that. I, I, listen, I, I've been supporting, the, you know, having corporations and real estate people pay taxes based on the absolute value of their properties. Yeah, of course I am. But you say, of course I am, and I don't know why you say, of course I am. Most people of your wealth don't support that. So some would consider you to be sort of a class trader. What do you say to those folks? Good. Good? <laughs> I love that. I don't consider that an accusation. I consider that a compliment. I'm someone who believes that the inequity and inequality in income in the United States is profound, unjust, and un-American. I believe that the inequality in terms of wealth is even more so and even worse. That's why I'm for t taking away all the tax breaks to rich people and big corporations. I'm for a wealth tax. I'm for treating investment income like earned income. And I'm for giving a 10% tax cut to everybody in the United States who makes less than 250000 bucks. So let's, let's talk about this for a second. You brought up the wealth versus the income, and these are two different metrics, and I think most Americans get very confused by that. So I would say over 80% of the new, the new wealth, not income, new wealth that was created the last couple of years has gone to the 1%. At some point, you would imagine that the 1% would realize the, in, the situation is untenable. It's not that it's solely immoral. It's untenable. If the majority of people don't have money to spend, it, event it eventually affects the folks that can't sell their widgets, right? So where, when does the platonomy wake up to that realization? It seems that you have, so I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> what I believe is we need, that we need to have a coalition of working Americans across race, ethnic, geographic grounds to take back this country, because I believe corporations have bought the government, and there is no limit to what they want. That's true. There is, so when you're saying, when are they going to wake up, the answer is... No, we have to wake up. We have to retake the country. We have to break the corporate stranglehold. I've been doing this. I've been fighting these corporations for 10 years. I've never lost. I want to go to D.C. and keep doing it. I want term limits of 12 years for Congress people and senators. I want to, you know, I want to take on this system. I'm an outsider, but so is everybody else in the United States who doesn't live inside the Beltway. We're all outsiders, and they're running, they, you know, the corporations own the, the government, and they all think it's working fine. It isn't. I'm trying to get the outsiders like me to get back the power. And those outsiders are called the citizens of the United States. Right, exactly. 
One last question just for fun. Is there a bromance between you and Bernie Sanders? Look, I respect Bernie for his values and what he's trying to get done. I disagree with him on a lot of things about how to get them done. But I never doubt that he has, he's sincerely trying to do the right thing. And so I, I admire that and respect him for it. But I, I got to say, I don't always agree with Bernie. That's fair. Yep. That's right. Thanks for talking to me, Tom. Take care. I also spoke with Jesus Chewy Garcia, who is a Bernie Sanders surrogate from Illinois and a congressperson. We discussed the problems with ICE immigration and a handful of other things, including unions and Medicare for all union member and I've been noticing that there's a big break between union members that support Medicare for all and union members that don't. My particular union Medicare plan is now being managed by Anthem Blue Cross and it's nothing like it used to be. It's pretty crappy and I think that's probably happening across the board and I think it's uh, important that as union members we get behind this idea of Medicare for all because it's everybody in nobody out. What are your thoughts on that? I support uh, Medicare for all. Uh, In this session of Congress we've passed Many bills seeking to address the high cost of prescription prices, the lack of coverage with people with uh, pre-existing conditions, and the fact that prices continue to skyrocket every day, and that many of the managed care organizations are really there to block and to prevent people from getting the health care that they need. The price of insulin is a tremendous problem in districts like mine, where people are affected disproportionately. So what I'm trying to convey to people is the Medicare for All system makes sense because you don't have to deal with all the bureaucracy, you don't have to deal, the companies, small employers don't have to deal with that. And the only thing that, you know, the clinics remain uh, open and accessible. The only thing that changes is the payment, where you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about an illness, a sickness, a catastrophic event happening in your life. That will be covered. The only thing that changes is that the payment is gets made for you, and you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to have the headaches. You don't have to ration medicine. Like I've met people who are rationing their insulin. So it's moving to where the rest of the industrialized world is that and having a universal system. I 100% agree. And you're you're making a really good case about the fact that small businesses would also benefit because it frees up all of that income. I have uh, some of the strongest retail strips in all of Chicagoland in working class, predominantly Latino communities. So the fact that there's that vibrancy means that all these employers are worried about their health care, their own health care. I met small business owners who are rationing their own intake of insulin because of the system that doesn't work. So this is a natural progression. This is good stuff and workers ought to really be thoughtful about it and mindful and not to be scared by appeals to you know something dramatic and terrible is going to happen and you're going to be left on the street on the contrary. 100%. One more question for you. I know you have to mosey on but I also wanted to ask you about this week I attended the uh it was sponsored by Amnesty International, a few other organizations. It was the uh, campaign, the presidential campaign on immigration. The only person that spoke out against ICE that actually stated they wanted to abolish ICE and pre- roll back the structures pre-Patriot Act, where we- there was no DHS or ICE, was Faiz from the Bernie Sanders campaign. Warren is saying we keep it in place. Uh, Biden is saying we keep it in place. You can go down the list. Like Nobody was willing to make that brave stance. And I actually agree with this because none of these organizations are actually doing security anymore, which was the intent and purpose, right? Now it's all about eliminating immigration. You have, um, at DHS, I know of at least 12 ex-FAIR John Tanton organization appointees that work there, and that's a white nationalist organization that not only wants to get rid of illegal immigration, they want to get rid of all uh, immigration. So 
Do you agree with that position, and, and if so, why? Since we got rid of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, it's an agency that provides services, we went to ICE. And during that time, we have tripled the budget of ICE, mostly for militarizing the budget and a focus on criminalizing people and looking at immigration in the worst way. Let us be realistic. Our economy, because we're an aging society, requires immigrants to be here. They're here already. Why don't we take care of them? Just as the American public agrees that we should provide a pathway to the DACA or the so-called dreamers to legalize their status and to full citizenship, because they're as American as you and I are, we should be thinking about other people. We've passed the Dream and Promise Act in Congress by a whopping margin in the House, it's in the Senate. Similarly, we pass the Farm Modernization Act, which can provide a legal pathway for farm workers who everyone recognizes we need if we want to enjoy our way of life and good food in places like Vegas and the comforts you know that they bring. So we need them. This is another piece of reform. I think if we continue on this way, we can get to a place where everyone who is here can have equal protection. Everyone here can earn good wages, pay taxes, and contribute to the public purse that all of us want. So, uh, to you know, let us remember that we have come to a place in our history where the narrative has been to criminalize people that we need. People who aren't criminals and people who simply seek what other immigrant, waves of immigrants have sought in America, an opportunity to participate and not to have to live in the shadows or exploitation. That's right, and they are being exploited. Oh, by the way, I voted against funding for DHS because we continue to militarize, we continue to terrorize, and looking at the images of children in cages and the way that migrants seeking political asylum are treated at the border today under Donald Trump with the Remain in Mexico policy is cruel. We need to return to a humanitarian approach to it. And you know what, I'm going to argue that that needs to go back even further than the Obama years because, look... Yes. That started under the Obama-Biden administration, and yes. and the Biden uh, surrogate got called out for this by somebody in the audience, and the response was very unacceptable, in my opinion, because it was just deflection saying Donald Trump, Donald Trump, but we have to recognize, I'm a Democrat, we have to recognize that our side sort of started that and handed this very toxic football to a fascist. The move toward incarcerating so many people in society began under Bill Clinton. He thought it was an astute political move. We've come to realize how wrong-headed it was. He's apologized. Others have apologized. The folks that did not get apologized to are those who are suffering the ravishes of the criminal justice system today that includes the criminalization of immigrants and mass detentions and private prisons excel in the realm of our immigration policy because that's what we're doing to people, locking them up and denying them due process. And that's wrong. They should get a fair shake before a judge always. So ensuring judicial protections for migrants is very important as well. Thank you for talking with me. I agree with you, sir. And thank you for being here today. Thank you. After Bernie Sanders dominated the caucus, securing a sound win, we headed to the Rebar Bar in the uh, Arts District of Las Vegas to his victory party. Nina Turner gave a great speech that night. There's no one else that can speak the gospel of Bernie Sanders. Like my sister, Senator Nina Turner. 
African-American sisters and brothers, let me tell you, y'all did the damn thing too. They said that Vice President Biden was going to blow us out of the water with the African-American community. It cannot happen. They are neck and neck. Hello, somebody. We're going to take this fight. And what this means about it, and it's exactly what Sister Amy said, that despite the odds, despite what the naysayers had to say, despite how they tried to divide us up, that baby, we are together whether we are black, brown, white, Asian, indigenous. I mean, we've been holding this emotion. I know how you all feel because this is clear cut. This ain't no half measure. This is all the way. And the great state of Nevada, can we send a shout out to the great state of Iowa? Come on, somebody. Great state of Nevada, can we send a shout out to New Hampshire? And great state of Nevada, can we roll, 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 roll into South Carolina? Yeah. 
be done. I just want you to follow me on this. When FDR was pushing Social Security, there were a group of people in his day who called it socialism. They said it could never be done, but he did it anyway. Hello, somebody. And we know that Social Security is one of the strongest programs to help our elders and also our disabled sisters and brothers not to be so deep in poverty. But the naysayers of that day said it could not be done, but they did it anyhow. In the same way in the 60s, I want you to think about Medicare as it exists today. There were haters at that time who called it socialism and said it couldn't be done, but they did it anyhow. And in that same way, I want you to know that you are that 21st century freedom fighters. That is standing up for what is just, for what is right, and for what is good. We will have Medicare for all in the United States of America. And generations from now, when they're talking about what you did on the front lines, Somebody gonna stand up and say the same thing that they said it couldn't be done, but we did it anyhow. We did it anyhow. And Senator Sanders, in the words of Dr. Cornell West, is a long distance runner for justice. And it is time in our lifetime that we have the type of leader who is willing to go ham on the system. Who has said to Wall Street, I'm coming for your greed. Pharmaceutical industry, I'm coming for your greed. Fossil fuel industry, I'm coming for your greed. That the workaday people of this nation deserve better than what they have gotten. You deserve it. Don't let these folks tell us that we don't deserve it. How is it that when we bail out Wall Street, don't nobody say a mumbling word, but now that we want to put a down payment on Main Street, folks want to talk smack? We don't keep our righteous indignation. We don't keep our eyes on the prize. And we don't catapult our senator to be the 46th president of the Up. This is just the beginning. And the type of stuff that they're going to throw 
we got to be ready. So I want to leave you, and many of you have heard me tell this story all over the country, but I want to encourage you with my grandmother's three bones. The wishbone, the jawbone, and the backbone. I know this one. <laughs> the wishbone is for hoping and praying because hope is the motivator, but the dream is the driver. Yeah. The jawbone is for us to have courage to lift our voices and to speak truth to power. Yeah. Titles are good, they get your phone calls returned. Titles are good, they get you in the room. But sometimes people with fancy titles forget why they are there. Titles are good, but purpose is better. our trials and our tribulations. And in this life, we're going to go through some stuff. But we can't have a testimony without a test. And we are being tested, sisters and brothers, to determine whether we have courage and conviction enough to do what is right in our time for ourselves and for generations unborn. Hello, somebody. So can you do something for a sister? Can you raise one hand for yourself? for somebody else. The great Maya Angelou once said, have the courage to stand up for yourself and then the courage to stand up for somebody else. And with these hands, we will have Medicare for all. With these hands, we will have college for all. With these hands, we will cancel student debt. With these hands, we will cancel medical debt. With these hands, we will have a humane immigration system. With these hands, women will finally get their whole damn dollar. racist to its core. With these hands, we will legalize marijuana in other places in the country. With these hands, we will expunge records of folks that have gone down and With these hands, we will have transcendence. With these hands, we will take care of Mother Earth. And with these hands, we will make our 78-year-old senator number four. Next up, Super Tuesday. Thanks for joining us.